This is the Revolution Leadership Podcast. My name is Chris and I'm your host. And here we believe that everything in a culture ultimately rises and falls because of its leaders. We'll be sharing with you proven principles, practical examples, and relevant stories in order to inspire and equip you to lead wherever you are. Welcome to the show. Hi, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Joe Couch. Today, we're going to jump right in with our big question, and we're going to attempt to define simply, where does vision come from? When you say the word vision, there are absolutely no shortage of explanations for what it is and how you get there and where it comes from. You walk into a Barnes and Noble or something like that, and there's just stacks and stacks and stacks of books. But when you really get down to the the basis of what we're trying to say when we describe vision, I believe there's a, a very simplistic explanation for ultimately where does vision come from. So like usually I want to start with kind of the principal big idea, tell you a little story, and then we'll go into an application. Um, very simply, um, if you're listening to this from a faith perspective, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use um, some language about God and His creation and all that. If, if you're not hearing this through the lenses of faith, you might interpret it maybe as uh, boss's best, whoever's in charge, what's the uh, primary agenda that they're attempting to achieve, if you will. So I'm going to talk at this mostly from a faith angle. And so um, I would start simply by describing this. When, when, when God set the world into motion, he caused certain things to function in a certain way. He made tides move with the moons. He made planets move in orbit and rotation. He made, uh, even at the microcosm uh, level and even at the atomic level, we can see it the same way that maybe an atom functions looks very much the same way that the universe functions. So at every different level, we can see highly tuned, perfectly calculated pieces that cause the world to work. Whether we're talking about seasons, whether we're talking about uh, the rise and fall of gases, whether we're talking about um, the way precipitation formed and drops and all that kind of thing, um, you'll look at the world and there are certain ways that the natural order works. I believe that in a similar fashion, there are certain ways that the laws of man work. In other words, the choices we make that we choose to put in place that help govern uh, ourselves and, and for sure one another um, agreed upon. And so, so when you look at the way that the world works, so society and culture work, many of those things are governed directly by governments and some of them are social mores, traditions and things like that. And so, so when you look at God's design for the planet, you can see it in natural laws and when you look at the laws that men create, when those laws come into alignment with the laws that God made in terms of the best way to live, you see peace. Martin Luther King said very simply, when the laws of man come into alignment with the laws of God, only then can there be peace. So when we start this discussion on where does vision come from, what I want to position to you is that there is a natural order and way that life works best. So I come from a faith background, but I've often said many times that even if I was not associated with a particular denomination, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Jesus follower, a follower of Christ, and even if I was not associated with that, I didn't come from a Christian background, I would still choose the ways of Scripture. If I was not a man of faith or any of those things, I would still, because pragmatically, from a pure utilitarian approach, certain inputs produce certain outputs. And there are basic ideas like, 
Um, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. I can be mean, I can yell over the fence, I can dump the, the clippings from my grass in my neighbor's yard, and I know that those things are gonna come right back to me, okay? So I can look at other things uh, from scripture that talk about justice. I can look at things that talk about uh, social relationships. I can look at things that talk about um, relationships between spouses or uh, you know, sexuality and culture. I can look at any number of issues and I can see in my own um, read of history, I can see that when practices reflect what God says is best, generally speaking, really wonderful things happen. And when they don't, you see a divergence. You begin to see all sorts of things that um, take off in a different direction. So, so whether we're talking about um, you know, things in a, in a natural sense, like the tides, you work with those things, you can do beautiful things, harbors and, and uh, docks and uh, locks, excuse me, all sorts of uh, arrangements that, that function within those parameters. Uh, but if you try to resist those things, uh, you think about you know, when you're a kid building a sand castle out at the edge of the beach, tide starts coming in and boy you can scoop that trench as fast as you want but sooner or later the tide wins. In other words when you work against the natural design the natural design will in some cases in some instances at some point it's going to create chaos. Okay so when we talk about God's ways or a created order if you prefer to use that language of the world we can look at it and we can tell when we keep in cadence with those things whether it's a season um, whether it's a certain social construct, whatever it is, there is peace. There, there's a way that healthy families become healthy. There's a way for a father to love and speak tenderly while still disciplining his children that produces a certain outcome. There's a different way for a father to be angry, to be absent, to beat, um, or to cause his children to fear him that produces an entirely different outcome. So I, I say this as a backdrop to say this. I believe there's a created order an intended best, and I think we can see much of that um, from Scripture. Again, this is coming from a, from a faith-based worldview, and I look at it from Scripture, uh, we can see God's intended order for the planet, both in humanity and our moral laws, as well as in a natural law observation of the world we live in. So I believe that when we ask the question, where does vision come from? The result is, or excuse me, the, the inception of that thought is, looking at the created order and understanding where has anything moved out of that created order. In other words, where have we seen division or where have we seen a moving away from the intended order or construct that God put in place? If you can imagine drawing a line straight across a page and then um, you know, maybe 25 or 30 degrees off from that same starting point, kind of slanting downward in a way, you might get the picture of that straight line at the top was, in a sense, God's intended order or the natural created order of things. And that lower line that's diverting further and further away, the further out you go, might represent a division or a diversion away from that natural order. The longer you go from that point of origin, the farther apart those two lines become. At any given time, the measure or the distance between those two lines we might refer to as chaos. In other words, a small decision made out of or away from the created order intended design might mean only small impact early on. But the longer you play it out, the greater the distance becomes between the created order or design and the measure of diversion from that created order or design. The distance between those two, again, 
at whatever point you're measuring is what I would define as chaos. How far away from created order and design are we in whatever construct or circumstance that we're looking at? That paints a backdrop as we're looking out around the world, as we're looking at families, as we're looking at businesses or in the marketplace or faith-based structures and nonprofits, creates a backdrop for us to go, okay, if we're trying to answer the question, where does vision come from? This measure of diversion or this measure of chaos is the birthing ground for vision. I teach uh, students all the time here at a leadership school called Revolution 5, and we talk all the time about this idea of the significance of getting close to pain. We live in a culture that is highly averse, that resists pain, everything from we can ride around in cars and control the weather inside, to we can choose what temperature it's going to be in our homes, so to speak to we can eat whatever we want. We can take the, the, the freezing nature of um, you know, somewhere up near the Antarctic and bring it into the confines of a warm house and cause food to exist inside of it. Call it a refrigerator, right? But we have been enabled the power through modern developments in technology to do all kinds of things that would not have been possible you know, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, whatever it is, ago, depending on whatever we're talking about. Okay, so we can um, choose to not go to certain parts of town in our city. In fact, we often do, right? Um, we can choose to um, you know, avoid certain parts of the world. There's just certain countries we absolutely do not want to go into because there's so much um, disarray and out of order in those places. In a sense, very simply, we can choose to avoid, especially in our Western culture, to insulate ourselves from any sort of pain, trial, challenge, chaos. We can effectively insulate ourselves. In fact, modern middle America, you can pull away in the morning. Uh, if you're going to work, if you happen to work outside of your house, so many people work from home even now, and you can get your food delivered in boxes on your front door. You can return to home, garage opens, pull in, park the car, get out into your own house, and you can effectively eliminate any sort of pain or suffering even getting into your life, at least in the presumed sort of I control my world. So when you do that, what starts to happen is there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a disconnect from the reality of life. And I challenge students all the time. I would actually urge you as leadership students, get close to pain. So if you have the opportunity to go to a leper colony while you're on a trip somewhere in a foreign country, make plans to go to that leper colony. Ask them their stories. What's their fear? What's their desire? What are the things that they wish might have gone differently if the circumstance were not the way that it was? If you have never been to a third world orphanage, highly encourage you, go into the third, don't just go to the first level, maybe go to the second or third level and see the deformed or maybe mutilated kids that were unwanted or used for begging or whatever they were that were hung in a basket on a fence and an orphanage took them in and children that can't get up or move around or they're bound to their beds or whatever it is. Like go, go to those places, pick those kids up, ask the horrifically understaffed personnel what it's like working there. Go to um, some, uh, I don't know, go, go, to, go to a local um, trafficking, anti-traffic agency and have them actually point out the hot spots in your town where deals are made, the exits, the locations, the frequency. Get close to pain. Move the other direction. As a leader, I challenge all the time, get close to pain. Because what I know is that pain,
chaos, dissonance from created order is actually the birthplace of vision. Now, a lot of people talk about, hey, have a dream, um, follow your passion, all that kind of stuff. And it's very popular in our culture right now. Um, I don't mind saying that oftentimes your dreams are what's holding you back. Because we get these beautiful, cleanly laced ideas about what we want to do and where we want to go and who we want to be. And very oftentimes, those become extremely self-centric. And they're not really wrapped up in in a love and a desire to sacrifice for something greater than yourself. And we know, um, you know, from, from being around the world, generations, it's, it's just, we know overtly that every human being on the planet is looking for a cause bigger than themselves to live for, to cost them something, a worthy sacrifice of their lives. And they want a band of brothers and sisters to run with. So move close to pain, start getting out of you-centric, start thinking, or excuse me, I-centric, start thinking you-centric. What pain, suffering, chaos can I step into and have the opportunity to potentially lift up or pick up not just a dream, but a real burden, a genuine area that, uh, that, that, that needs restoration back to its original design. What's a burden or a chaos? We say leaders step into chaos. It's part of their job. They, they step into chaos and they bring it back into order. What does a leader do? They move into chaos, bring it back to order. So go to, get close to your pain, get to those places. And what's going to happen is, is, is you're, not, you're not a masochist. You're not just trying to experience pain for pain's sake. But there's a beautiful part of the way that, that you're wired that you might be able to pass nine or ten things, but at some point you're going to come across a chaos in some circumstances that you cannot refuse to do something about. I tell people it's kind of the moment I would rather not breathe than not do something about that circumstance. I believe that that place is the place where vision is birthed. That chaos, that pain that you've stepped into, that you've gotten close to, where you finally reach a place where... Uh, I heard, I heard uh, a man say one time, it's kind of the Popeye syndrome. I've, I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. If you ever saw that growing up or as a kid or reruns or whatever. The idea that like I'd, I'd rather not breathe than not do something about this. I believe that that's actually the birthing place of vision. Because what begins to happen is when you find that hot space, that place where you go, I, no matter, I don't, I have no idea, but no matter what, I could exhaust my heart and life doing something about that issue here in culture, whatever it is. I believe it's the birthplace of vision. Hey guys, this is Chris with just a couple quick reminders. First, if you want to be on the show, I'd love to have you. We're doing a Q&A segment where we tackle your questions pertaining to leadership. So be sure to leave us your question in the link below. Second, the best way to support us is to partner with us for as little as 99 cents a month. And be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share, and leave us a positive review on whatever platform you use to listen to the show. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. So in a sense, if going back to that kind of drawing layout, if the vision of God, perfect order, the, the, the original intent, created design, is that horizontal line, and from the origin of that line, that second one comes down, there's division. There's the separation from intended order, created design, that measure is chaos, restoring that lower line back to the upper line or taking that division, moving it across chaos back into alignment with the original design, with the vision. That movement 
that closing the gap of chaos and restoring back to that horizontal line in a pictorial sense, I believe that that is the process of vision actually playing out. So it's simply said, as a principle, where does vision come from? I believe that vision comes from finding chaos that you utterly are committed to bringing back into alignment with its original design. When you step into that place, it's the birthing grounds of vision. Okay, so let me go ahead and follow here next with, with some sort of a story that might help uh, shape this for you a little bit. Uh, I have a dear friend I'm going to call uh, Greg, and Greg was invited many years ago to go to a country in the Middle East, and because of ravages of war, many people have flooded over into this country, and he was invited by a friend, and upon arriving there, Greg had uh, kind of surveyed um, what was uh, really a, uh, a, a massive hundreds of thousands of people. Um, in these refugee camps, just little tent shanties, no latrines, no health, no water, no, no, no police, no nothing, just thousands and thousands and thousands of refugees. And he said this, he said, my first thought was, what hell did these people come from that this was better than? And he said, my next thought was, dear God, I would do anything to help these people. And he said, and the third thought was simply this, I have absolutely nothing to offer. And so he returned home and he began to just, just, just wrestle and weep over the circumstance of these people. And, and in his own journey, he was, he, was, he was also a man of faith. He just began to um, kind of get his heart before the Lord to say, I'll do absolutely anything. I'll do anything. I can't imagine. I don't know what I could do for these people. It's beyond my capacity. But if you'll choose to allow me, I'll grab a hold of you, and whatever you tell me to do, wherever you tell me to go, my life and service are entirely yours. So over the course of the next 25 years, that man was able to build through a bunch of people that were attracted to, he was able to build one of what I consider to be the most successful um, advances, sustainable relief, in, in a very difficult Middle Eastern country, um, enterprises that in this century, I believe, has yet been accomplished in this, in this last century up, up to current. And so what happened was he went to, got close to the pain, and in his own wrestle, it was one of those moments where I'd, I'd rather not breathe than not do something about this. And in the aftermath of that experience, he began to find any little opportunity he could to help meet the needs of those people and eventually went on to start leadership schools and meet the needs of the poor and the, 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 um, you know, the, the people that were just ravished by war. And one thing led to the next and there's all sorts of um, you know, taking care of uh, health needs and uh, education and um, sustainable community development and one thing after another um, on to the point of, again today, I, I believe one of the most successful outreaches um, that has been able to become sustainable uh, in the middle of some really difficult, war-torn, Middle Eastern country circumstances. Okay, I want to finish by talking just a little bit about application, okay? So in this application, um, if we're looking at this again, it, it, let's just say you're, you're, you're a leader uh, in the marketplace, you own a business, uh, maybe you're a pastor at a church, um, you're working in a school, uh, whatever the context is you find yourself, I want to make this very kind of practical. Okay, great, I got it, leadership. 
um, excuse me, developing vision is it's birthed in the midst of chaos and pain, the, the diversion uh, out of the original intended design and trying to bring that back into its created order. So what does this look like in a very practical sense? I think there's basically three questions. Okay, so as a leader, it's just part of the DNA in you to want to fix and to bring things about to a right. But if we zoomed in one level further, let's say that, say that you're working in a business or working in a church. The first question that you have to identify is simply, in this realm of responsibility, and again, this, this could be you could own a coffee shop, you could run a church, you could be um, building widgets at a company, but within the scope and realm of responsibility that I have, what should this look like? if all conditions were perfect. If every condition was perfect, or, or if at least I can imagine this context and all the conditions were perfect, I had the right capital, I had the right people, I had the right opportunity, I had the right time, I had the right resource, whatever the particular things were, if conditions were, were as absolutely perfect as they could be, what would this look like? Like what would be the original design? What would be the intended order? What would be the, the, the um, uh, perfect, uh, explanation of this circumstance, i.e. what will be the, the original design, if I can say it that way? What will be the best possible solution? And then asking the second question, where can I do this? What's the specific target? Uh, a good entrepreneur friend of mine asked a question one time or made the statement. He said, you know, if it's, for, if it's for everybody, it'll be for nobody. But if it's for somebody, it might be for everybody. In any words, choose a target. You don't have to win everywhere, but if you start winning somewhere, it's the plausibility that you might be able to win somewhere else. Other dear friends that have worked in a trafficking organization and sometimes the, the sheer numbers and volume are just absolutely overwhelming. And I communicate a similar thought, like looking at the size of the problem, like why, why does your vision persist? It feels like next to the problem, you're, you know, you're making, um, you know, to put it bluntly, somewhat of an insignificant um, you know, uh, rectifying of the situation. And their response, um, you know, was just very similar. Like, we're, if we if we can win here, we might be able to win there. And if we can win there, we might be able to win here. So, kind of that that concept and that idea of like, you don't have to win everywhere. Start winning somewhere. So, if I can imagine this circumstance again, whether talking about a coffee shop, a church, a, a trafficking, a social ill in society, if I could imagine this circumstance as it should be, as its best case, as its intended order, what does it look like? In other words, what's the plumb line? What is the original intent and design that we're actually aiming for? Then number two, where can we actually win? Where can we actually win? A good friend pointed this out to me. There's a king in the Bible, most famous king um, in history uh, of scriptures. is King David, very well known. He was, a, he was supposed to be the, the great, 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 um, so on and so forth, grandfather of David, uh, excuse me, of David, of Jesus. And King David um, he, he came to power and was able to sustain much of his rule through a number of military men that gathered around him and rallied to him. And there were, amongst all of these men, there were specifically a very top 30 that had done these incredible feats. And at the top of those 30, there were specifically three others who were held in higher esteem than the other 30. And these guys, you, you read the stories of old, um, uh, again, and it's just, just absolutely, you know, taking out, you know, a couple hundred men in one standing and just, just ancient warfare. And you can just imagine the whole circumstance, but incredible warriors. And the top three that were over the 30, that were over the entire army, these top three were, I mean, if you could imagine the special forces of the special forces of the special forces, I mean, that, that would be who these guys were as it compared in ancient warfare with other armies. 
And if you look at those guys, the one thing that was different between them, because some of the other 30 had done some incredible thing, but the one thing that was different about those specific three is that all three of them had defended a space. They had drawn a circle, so to speak, around a specific target where they were absolutely determined to win. And no matter what came against them, no matter how bad and, and vigorous and difficult the fighting got, they defended that space. And as such... As the story is told that they were elevated to places of honor above any of the other warriors in the army and ultimately above all the other soldiers in the army. So the idea is simply this. If we can find a plumb line, what should this look like? First question we're asking. The second question is, where are we going to win? What's the target? If we can win somewhere, we might be able to win an additional space and so on. But we have to define a specific target that we defend and kind of this mentality of hell or high water, we will win right here, okay? Military concept, looking at a map, no matter what, this space, drawing a circle around it, we must win here, okay? So number one, what should this look like according to its original design? Number two, where are we going to win? What's the target? What's the people? Uh, what's the specific objective that if we win this, it's gonna move the needle? We're gonna start, it's, it's a clear targeted um, objective. And then number three, how do we get there? And here's where the long, excuse me, where the long game really comes into play. It's the tacticals. It's been said that a vision without a plan is just wishful thinking. And you hear every sort of wishful thinking dream all the time. You go as far as a, um, you know, maybe an ex derelict in a coffee shop or something like that, talking about things that should be fixed and what should be done and all that kind of stuff. But the difference between wishful thinking and a vision is beginning to actually roll out tactical objectives. What are our lag and lead measures? What are the specific contributions that if we do these things, we know it's going to begin to affect these things? What are the ABC pieces of progression that we, we have to move across in order to ultimately see this larger vision succeed? Contributing factors, if this, then this. So again, very practically, whatever the context you're looking at, number one, what should this ultimately look like, i.e., what's the created order or design or intent from the beginning or the best case scenario that could be imagined. Number two, where is the specific target that we're going to win? The people, the space, the time, where is that strategic specific target in which we're going to win? We start winning, we can always increase, move out, uh, move on, whatever it is. Okay, and then finally number three, you start developing the real tacticals. How do we get there? What's the if then lead lag measures? The pieces that actually move the needle that we can tell we're progressing in this worthwhile vision or cause. Okay, so just for review, the big question we were attempting to answer was where does vision come from? I believe that vision comes from wherever we recognize a diversion from the original intent or design in any given space of life. That distance is what we might call chaos. When you stand into chaos and you get close to pain, you inevitably encounter something at some point in a journey where you go, I would rather not breathe than not do something about this. That level of pain, that intensity is where vision is birthed. And again, we talk a lot about dreams and uh, all that kind of stuff. That's entirely wonderful. It's incredible. It's great. But many times those things become driven by selfish ambition, um, notoriety, all those kind of things. And, and they just don't have the same power or staying capacity that laying down your life on behalf of someone else does, that cause bigger than you live for. So that space of chaos that you step into that go, I'm going to move this needle back 
towards the original design. I'm going to cause this circumstance to come into alignment with original design, the best case scenario, the, 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 the truest um, expression of this, of this thing. And then finally, the practical application, you're asking three questions in terms of vision. Number one, what should this look like? What's the original design? Okay, within the realm of responsibilities that we have to influence. Uh, number two, where is the intended target? How are we gonna win? What's the first designated space we can win in to see this thing become a reality? And then finally, what's the tacticals? How do we actually get there? What are the lead lag measures, the input output variables that will help us know that we're actually gaining traction towards the restoration of this project, of the launch of this thing, of this church, of this coffee shop, of this social issue, uh, whatever it is. What are the practical things that actually give us confidence we're moving the needle towards that end? And again, that's where you're getting all the tactical objectives and that's the long game of actually walking out that vision. Okay, I hope this helps in terms of answering the question of where does vision come from and maybe even bringing some focus for you as a leader in whatever uh, capacity you're serving and really starting to realize, man, I, I, it's, it's not just about wishful thinking. It's not just about your gifts and skills. It's about getting out there and finding out the disorder, chaos, and pain that is diverted from God's original design or from the intended order of things and picking up a burden and saying, I'd, I'd rather not breathe and not do something about this. And out of that comes this cause bigger than just I-centric. It becomes you-centric to live for. And therein, I believe, is the birthing place of vision. All right, I hope that helps. I hope that um, even as you're making choices and, and moving through um, your workplace or ministry, that um, the things that drive you, and again, the, the, the value and importance of vision, um, it's often been said, without vision, people perish. And again, it doesn't matter if you're working in a, in a local retail store, in a hotel industry, or in a thriving church. If there is a big, compelling vision, people move. Without the vision, people do not move. And as a leader, you want to move people. All right, that wraps up this episode. And if it's been helpful to you, please be sure to leave us a positive review and share it. And remember that banners are hailed at the beginning and medals are awarded at the end but leaders are forged in the long, dark in-between. If you're leading, you're taking the greatest risk. Thanks for being a part of the podcast, and I'll talk to you again next time.